Ally Podcast. On today, we have Dr. Nadine Thornhill. Uh, Dr. Nadine Thornhill has been on the podcast before, and I wanted to invite her back to be a part of our special summer series that looks at the art and craft of transforming what we might sometimes think of as a tricky, tough, difficult conversation into a necessary one. I am Dr. Nadine Thornhill. I am a sexuality educator based in Toronto, Ontario, and folks can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, my handle is at is Nadine Thornhill on all three, so I'm very easy to find. That's great. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Thornhill, for giving up some of your time. Um, this summer, I'm doing a special series that's all about ways that educators can pivot from thinking of hard conversations or difficult dialogues and really reframing them as just necessary things that we need to explore and discuss. Uh, and, I, and I feel like you do that so well. When I first came across some of the, the video content that you very generously share on the web, uh, you know, it's you guiding a conversation with students about consent is one example. And I was sort of floored by just how easygoing that conversation was, because when I think back to sex ed, as I, ex I experienced it as a, a student, it was sort of like, it was the talk. And, it, you know, it was sort of like people whisper about it later on. And, and that was, it just had this completely different vibe. So I'm wondering, you really reframing sex ed, is that something that you learn to do over time? Or did you have a specific experience where you realized when we talk about sexual education, we need to change it. So I would say it's a it's a bit of a combination of both. And a lot of my own uh, sex education um, actually began in university. You know, I, I I did have sort of formal institutionalized sex education. Um, beginning in, I think it was sixth grade and, you know, continuing through high school. But where I really learned the most was in university when I came across a group of friends who were, you know, very open about discussing sexuality and not just our sexual experiences, but, you know, feelings and emotions. And it was just sort of woven into the fabric of our general conversation. So it wasn't, you know, sex being discussed in these hushed tones um, off to the side, uh, this particular group of friends was just really great at talking about sexuality as a normal part of the human experience. And so that always stuck with me. And that sort of, I think, naturally carried over into my work as a sexuality educator. I also had the benefit of learning and observing from other more experienced educators who also sort of took that um, very sort of just casual, comfortable approach. And so I think by the time I was, you know, deep into my career, that felt really normal to me. Um, and so part of it is experience, part of it, part of it is intentional. Um, but something I will say, and I've observed this working with, um, you know, clients, both adult and youth, is that having someone in the room to sort of give that implicit permission that this is just a thing we can talk about. Um, it's always amazing to me how quickly people become comfortable talking about sexuality. And then as people become more comfortable, it becomes a comfortable topic. And so um, the experience helps, but it's certainly not a thing where people need, you know, 
15 years of experience to get comfortable with it. Um, it's something that can really happen, you know, over the course, I've seen it happen over the course of like a single workshop where somebody will come in and they'll start off shy. And by the end, they're noticeably, you know, more at ease with the subject matter. Yeah, and that, that modeling that you mentioned, I think is so important for our students. You know, I, I think if they, I think they do pick up on whoever is facilitating the conversation, they, they pick up on, you know, do they think that this is something that we can talk about or, or not? Um, and, and I think, you know, for a teacher or a facilitator to be able to model that, first and foremost, they need to be in a school where the school is saying, you know, these conversations happen, they don't just happen once, it's, you know, an ongoing conversation. But, you know, it's 2020, I still see parents and, and guardians and teachers debating when can we start having these conversations? And I'm guessing that you have maybe been a part of, of you know, hearing that, that debate as well. In your experience, is there anything that has helped adults see children as capable beings of participating in conversations like these? So I certainly think the fact that there is some really good sex ed content, you know, be that, uh, be that video, be they websites, be they books that are geared towards youth um, that can also serve as an example to adults of what can these conversations look like? What is the type of vocabulary that we can use with kids? And also in some cases, like for example, um, in the show that I co-host, Everybody Curious, having the kids in the room and really being able to sort of observe their reactions and see that, you know, they're still just kids having this conversation, um, that it doesn't, you know, change them in any, you know, drastic way. Um, I think that can be really helpful and reassuring to, to adults because so many of us who are raising children or teaching children grew up in environments where sex education was very formal or it didn't happen at all. And mm. so as you were saying earlier, you know, it was either sitting down with our parents or caring adults and having this one talk where, you know, they sort of came into the room and were like, we're going to talk, we're going to have a discussion about this very serious thing once. Um, or sitting in a classroom and having these sort of very formal clinical lessons about, you know, our sexual organs and you know what was going to happen to our bodies at puberty and you know the importance of you know reducing our risk of pregnancy or or sexually transmitted infections and that's it um and those kind of conversations don't always you know fit seamlessly again into the music of just everyday talking um so i think a lot of us who are raising kids now we're sort of like we just can't envision what that would be like because we haven't had that ourselves um, and so being able to rely on resources that give an example of this is how you would have this conversation with a kid if you were just talking about it, I think can be really helpful. I, I agree. And I, I am going to link to several of your videos because they model that so well. But for someone who is listening, who is a little bit skeptical right now and they're thinking, okay, but you know, if we're talking about primary elementary school age kids, Dr. Thornhill, how do you discuss consent with them? Because I, you know, I feel like I've heard that reaction before. That's way too young to have that conversation. So could you just give us a few examples of actually how you would facilitate a dialogue around consent with grade four, grade five age kids? 
Absolutely. So um, first of all, it's important to remember that with children, um, oftentimes we're not talking about sexual acts or sexual activity because they're not quite there yet. But what we're talking about, what we're doing is we're kind of taking these, these concepts and ideas. So when we talk about consent, you know, this is a concept around how we relate to people um, and how we relate to people, particularly when we want to engage with their bodies. And sex is just one way that we engage with other people's bodies. There are a bunch of other ways. There's, you know, how do we engage with someone's body when we want to give them a hug? How do we engage with someone's body when they're our friend and they want to play a game with us? You know, these are, you know, these are situations that children find themselves in all the time where consent is relevant. And then even in a, you know, parent-child relationship, teacher-student relationship, you know, we're still asking children to do things that involve their bodies. And so those are conversations we can have. And so, you know, when I'm talking to eight, nine, 10 year olds, I might just start off and say, hey, has every, anyone here ever heard the word consent? Like just introducing the concept. Um, and if you have heard it before, or even if you haven't, what do you think it means? What do you think it means? Um, and really encouraging that sort of youth led discovery um, and asking them questions, you know, maybe like, how does it feel to share a hug with someone when you're both, you know, excited and really want to share that hug? How does it feel when, you know, someone tries to hug you and you actually don't want that hug? Like, why are those two things different? Those are some questions that we can ask you to just get them started thinking about consent, why it's important, you know, what it does for us how it works in the way that we relate to people. And that might be the conversation for that day. Like that might be all. Um, and the great thing about starting early is you don't have to sit down with them and be like, I need you to understand everything about consent right now because we're only going to talk about it today and never again. Right. And I think that, you know, the hug example is just such a perfect building block. You know, I, I think if kids are unable to sort of say, I don't want to give you a hug, you know, thinking about playing that experience through a few years later, I just think that's a great way early on to build up confidence around agency um, for kids and, and, uh, and an awareness that it is your body. It's, you know, your, your choice of whether or not you, you want to allow somebody else to um, experience it in that way. I think that's such a perfect age-appropriate example. And I, I love that you bring up the notion of it as a concept um, in the work that I do around helping educators think about being more LGBTQ plus inclusive. When we're talking about that same age group, I, I kind of say, you know, we're talking about families, we're talking about identity as concepts. And that's, that's kind of the way that you would pull in that um, inclusive thinking. And I love that the work that you do, of course, is sex ed that doesn't just have the same default stance of it has to be a, a man and a woman. Um, you know, again, the, the sex ed that I experienced certainly just had that cis heteronormative uh, frame to it. And I, I don't see all models taking your stance when it comes to sex and relationship health. And I'm just wondering at what point in your career, career did you know it was going to be inclusive of, of all people? And did you receive any pushback around delivering a sex and relationship health model that was inclusive? So 
that's been part of, of my model of sex education almost from jump and really it's because again a lot of my early mentors and a lot of my mentors throughout my career have been queer folk you know um you know have been lesbian bi gay trans um and so that you know you know as i was starting out because i was emulating you know these folks who were teaching me so much i don't think there was ever a time where i didn't consider uh, that sex ed was LGBTQ plus inclusive because mm. that just, um, that's just the example that I was given and those were the people that I was learning from and I'm so incredibly grateful for that because I think it's just made my career and the information I'm able to share so much, just like so much more dynamic and relevant and, and you know, it's better that way and I've learned so much. Um, you know, it was through that education that I myself was able to you know, finally recognize that I myself am queer, which is amazing. Um, I receive some pushback, but not a lot. And it's possibly because I tend, I tend not to engage in the pushback too, too much. Um, you know, I think the first pushback I ever really received was in 2010 when the Ontario government here had initially announced plans to update the sex education curriculum. And there was talk of including more LGBTQ plus content, um, particularly in earlier grades. And I remember I was very vocal in my support of that. And at the time there were a lot of people who were anti and my response was, Gender and orientation are things that we have been teaching children for generations. And as you said, like, it's always just focused on this cis heteronormative structure. Um, so it's like, we already have the model of how to teach kids about, you know, what orientation is because, um, you know, any book for kids that has a family, you know, whether they be a human family or a family of bears or raccoons or rabbits or whatever, there's a mom and a dad and kids. Like mm. the, the, the parent bunnies are, are straight. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I was like, and obviously we don't label it as that. And we don't talk about how the parent bunnies are having sex with each other, even though they obviously are because they're bunnies. Um, because yeah, like that doesn't need to be part of it for children. That's not really part of their context, but they can see the relationship structure. So I was like, yeah, just, you know, make those bunnies queer there. Duh. Um, and similarly with gender, I was like, we teach gender norms and gender expression all the time. You know, as soon as you have a baby and somebody looks at its genitals and it gets a gender assignment, you know, they have those pink blue blankets and they wrap it in the blanket of the, you know, so in a, of the socially acceptable color. So it was like, you know, we're giving kids lessons about gender all the time. So it's like, we just need to expand on that and make it more flexible um, and explain things like, yeah, the reason that we call you a girl is because you have a vagina because that's how gender assignment works. And it doesn't work that way for everybody. You know, it's basically the doctor guessing Sometimes the doctor's right, sometimes the doctor's wrong. Um, again, you know, it doesn't, we don't have to get into, you know, who is having sex with who and, and 
you know, turn it into this very like adult clinical conversation. But I think again, for a lot of folks, if they haven't had that experience as a child themselves, or they've never seen it or heard it, it scares them because they can only think about it in an adult context. I think that's absolutely right. And something that you said reminded me of a, a comment that a former guest made. Um, they, they mentioned that school for many children is probably the most gendered place they will ever experience. And I've been thinking about how, how true that is in so many different ways. And I'm wondering if you can point us to an example of how you, a specific example of how you do take gender out of that equation in conversations with, with students or with other teachers that you're working with. Uh, because, you know, as you say, I think somebody that hasn't had that experience, they really can't even imagine what that might be like to not have sex ed revolve so heavily around um, a gender. So could you give us an example of a way that you just sort of subtract or don't rely so heavily on, on gender as the focal point? So, for example, something I might do if I was talking to a uh, let's say a class of fourth graders about puberty and you know some of the changes or experiences they might have during puberty you know rather than saying something like well you know if you're a girl uh you're going to develop breasts and you're going to get a period and if you're a boy then you might find that you're you know starting to get erections which is when your penis gets hard um i will just talk about those processes as happening to different people and different types of bodies. And so I will, I might say something like, you know, most people who have vulvas, um, and let's assume for the sake of this example that we've already gone over sort of basic uh, genital anatomy, but I might say most people who have vulvas also have a uterus and ovaries. Um, and if you have a uterus and ovaries, then um, as you go through puberty, you will probably get a period and then we can talk about what a period is. I'll say, yeah, you know, most people who have testicles and a penis um, may discover that as they're starting to get older and move through puberty that sometimes their penis becomes erect, which is when it gets hard. And we'll talk about why it gets hard um, rather than assigning those experiences to a specific gender. Um, that would be a really simple, basic way I might approach that, th those lessons, um, because I'm like, I don't know, in a, especially in a classroom, I'm like, I don't know who, like, the genders of all the students, um, you know, unless they express, explicitly tell me, um, and they don't really need to do that for me to talk to them about puberty. Um, and also, I just kind of want to model that language of, different people have different body parts, but those body parts are not necessarily connected to their gender. Um, and we can't necessarily say that because someone has certain body parts that this is their gender. And I'm, I'm wondering if you've ever had another adult or parent guardian reach out to ask why you, why your sex ed, um, you know, like, it's hard for me to not say, why is your sex ed so open-minded and, and uh, you know, <laughs> relevant, but I, I'm trying to frame it from the way they would ask it. I'm wondering, you know, have you ever had anybody ask about your approach and why you do, um, why your language isn't specifically pointing at gender? Have you had another adult sort of question that? 
I probably have, but to be honest, I'm struggling to think of a specific example, but I also tend to be very um, upfront with people about what my sex ed looks and sounds like. And so, for example, if I were going to be going into a classroom or I would, I would be working with youth, then um, in almost every case, I either have, you know, a letter and information that goes to their parents and caring adults, or sometimes if there's an opportunity, I will actually sit down and have, you know, a meeting with parents and talk to them. And one of the things I'm very upfront about is the fact that um, I try very hard to be gender neutral, gender inclusive, um, inclusive of different um, romantic and sexual experiences, different family structures. Um, and so people generally know that that's what they're going to be getting um, if I'm going to be working with their kids. Mm, so I, I'm guessing kind of that front loading might help them just process a little bit about what is to come and maybe the, the surprise or, you know, as we were saying earlier, a lot of adults would not have had, you know, even you mentioned the word romantic and I'm thinking even, you know, that wasn't the, the feelings or the emotional aspect was never a part of the, the sex ed that I received. So I think that's kind of a nice, you know, I can, I can read this or think about this before this is coming. Uh, and I, you know, I, I recognize that not every school, depending on where it is or, you know, if it's private, they might not have someone like you facilitating these conversations. And I know there are some places where, you know, parents can decide, well, I'm going to opt out of this and, and not have my, my child be a part of this conversation. Uh, I'm thinking of a conversation that I, I had with a colleague a few years ago where uh, she said that she was just trying to kind of reframe some of the children's lit that was in her house for her young boy. And, you know, instead of it being the princess and the prince, she would have it be two princes or, you know, two princesses just to sort of mix up the, the romantic uh, relationship structure. And she said that she had another member of her family kind of, you know, sitting in and laughed it off and, and kind of rolled her eyes at, at the child and this colleague was really frustrated because she was thinking, you know, no, I need you to back me on this. Otherwise that, you know, my, my kid is going to think, you know, that, that this is not something that I'm taking seriously. And I'm wondering, you know, for an adult who is thinking, I, I really do want my family or my friends to get behind having this more open sense of, you know, as you were saying, it, it's, it's people in relationships, it's, it's people's bodies. What advice might you have for an adult who's thinking, I, I want someone else to understand that this is important and makes a difference for kids. Do you have any suggestions for someone who's dealing with someone who's kind of reluctant and thinks, you know, no, like this sex ed, the way I experienced it in the eighties or nineties was correct. We don't need a new approach. Right. Um, so, one approach that can sometimes can work and particularly if folks are dealing with other family members or people that they already have a relationship with um, is if they feel that they have the capacity um, to just ask and say, you know, like, why were you rolling your eyes? Um, you know, why don't you think that this is important? Um, you know, and sort of give the other person a chance not only to, you know, express maybe any concerns or skepticism they have, but I find that sometimes 
when we give people, like when we frame it and give them this sort of open-ended question, um, sometimes they discover that they maybe had prejudices or biases that they weren't aware of. Um, a lot of times it can just be a person is skeptical because they're like, this just isn't what I'm used to. And it, I feel uncomfortable. And so my brain is telling me that there's something wrong with this. But then when they actually have to go and articulate that, um, it can sort of help them realize sort of as they're hearing themselves talk and, and you know, think through really like, what is my problem here? Um, it can help them sort of get in touch with those emotions. I think it's also totally okay though sometimes if that person, you know, just doesn't want to get on board to say, all right, um, these are my values as a parent or a caring adult. These are the values that I choose to share with my child. Um, and if you can't get on board with this, then I'm going to just have to ask you to step out of the room while we're reading the story because it is important to me and it's important to me that my child learn these things and you know, it is my right as a parent to, you know, help my child have a more inclusive, holistic understanding of the world and people and how they work. Mm. And, and I'm, you know, I'm wondering in that example where, you know, you are kind of saying sometimes just speak your truth and speak it confidently. I'm wondering how that shows up actually in the work that you do with, with children, because I'm, I'm thinking too, a lot of the issues with Consent, unfortunately, I think is that sometimes we, and I think this is changing, but I think for a long time, we were teaching children, you know, sometimes you have to appease others or hmm. you just have to hug your Uncle Jerry, even if you don't want to. And I'm, I'm wondering if, again, that notion of the ability to actually say what you want and say it confidently. Is that coming up in any of the, the work that you're doing with kids as you know, we're, we're talking about adults having to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, um, definitely that comes up a lot. And a lot of what I wind up talking to talking about with not only kids, but even teenagers is, are, are the emotions involved. And so um, for example, something, you know, we might talk about if we're talking about this example of hugging a family member, um, and in particular, like an adult family member or, you know, an adult who's a friend of the family. Um, something we will talk about also are um, things like power dynamics and how that can affect our emotional experience. We'll talk about things like um, what it means when, you know, you, you know, you may very well have like strong, loving, affectionate feelings for someone and just not want to hug in that moment, but other stuff will come up. And so we'll talk about things like, how come sometimes it can be hard to say no to like your aunt or your uncle or your grandmother or grandfather or like the neighbor that you really like when they want to give you a hug? Like how come sometimes we just feel like, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like what is happening for us? Um, and it's amazing to hear what kids come up with because they're they're very aware in many cases of those emotions and they'll say things like, I don't want, I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. Um, I don't want that person to think badly of me. I don't want that person to think that I'm being rude. Um, 
I don't want them to think that I don't like them or I don't love them. And I'm like, yeah, I think all those conversations are conversations that we need to make space for because those are real things. Um, and so in the same way that we as adults may struggle to talk to our family member who's rolling their eyes at our attempts to be a little bit more inclusive in our storytelling because we're like, I don't want to fight with you. Like, I like you. Mm -hmm. um, you're an important person in my life and I just want you to understand this so we don't have to like get into it. Um, and so we talk about like what to do with those feelings of not wanting to disappoint someone or not wanting to make someone sad or not wanting to make them feel bad or not wanting them to think badly of us. What can we do with those feelings that doesn't necessarily involve us acquiescing to something that we know is not going to be good for us and our own bodies? And that there are other options that don't just include being like, oh, I'm just going to do it because I feel like I need to manage your feelings about me. And it's so profound. And it's, you know, listening to you speak, of course, it seems so obvious that power dynamics have to be a part of the conversation. And, I'm, you know, I'm wondering, you have a network of, of sex educators that that you that you know do you think this is becoming the new norm do you have a sense that this is the you know the, kind of the the gold standard or the best practice currently is to make sure that that's part of the conversation do you have any sense about that um certainly with the colleagues that i work work with closely yeah for sure um and i'm so thrilled to see it and then um, also what I'm seeing, I'm just seeing people really drilling down into the nuance of things. Um, and even taking that a step further, you know, talking about the power dynamics, talking about that they will definitely affect the way that we feel. And also then, you know, having even further conversations, which is why this needs to be an ongoing conversation and not just one, um, you know, talking about things like, you know, sometimes even when you have all the tools, you may give in. Um, and that, you know, you don't need to beat yourself up about that um, because consent and setting boundaries is a practice. And, you know, I'm hearing a lot more conversations about the fact that practicing, you know, whether it be an instrument, whether it be, uh, you know, a form of exercise, whether it be certain behaviors is not linear, it's iterative. Um, and so you, you may have times where you like, you know, sort of fall back on less practiced behavior, even though you're like, hey, I thought I had this down. I thought I was great at establishing my boundaries and being like, no, thank you. I don't want that hug. Um, that sometimes you're like, oh, I just kind of let them hug me. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make you a bad person. Um, you know, it just means this is hard. And so, um, yeah, I'm hearing even like more of those conversations in sex ed circles, which just thrills me. Uh, and I, you know, I love that you bring up that, you know, it does have to be an ongoing conversation and something that you do that I think is so valuable about, you know, keeping that conversation in front of people is the Instagram live sessions that, that you've been doing. And I'm wondering, this is sort of a two-part question for somebody who's thinking, okay, I'm definitely going to follow Dr. Thornhill now. Uh, you know, I, I want to learn more what might happen in one of your Instagram live sessions? So what, what could someone expect to see there? And then I'm also wondering, you know, why is social media a great tool for usualizing these conversations? Or, you know, how did you find yourself kind of gravitating 
to that as one of the resources that you were going to use? Oh, haha. Um, so that's funny. So my Instagram live sessions, what can people expect? I'm so, I'm so, uh, I feel like I'm sort of random and spontaneous on the Instagram lives. Um, but, uh, you know, sometimes I'll pop up and just be like, Hey, just ask me whatever questions you have. And then sometimes it's a little more structured and we will talk about a specific topic. Um, but certainly when I am on a live, you know, people are welcome to come on and ask me any kind of question they have about uh, sex education, whether it be in a classroom, whether it be at home. Um, I love, I love answering people's questions. Um, but yeah, I think I gravitated towards social media, partly because that's what I gravitate to as just like a, a human is just, you know, Nadine, I... Uh, I especially love Instagram and YouTube and I'm on, I'm on both those platforms every day, just consuming content for my own education and well, let's be real, largely entertainment. Um, and so part of it is just, it sort of feels like a natural fit for who I am because I'm there anyway. And I like being part of, you know, social media conversations, but I think it's also a way for me to make, um, my work accessible to folks. Um, you know, I do run a business and so I have services that I charge for. Um, but also there's, you know, I am happy to share content with folks, especially some of those like key teaching points that I think could be really valuable for folks. Um, you know, I'm happy to put those out there where they're accessible and where people can just get them and I like creating, you know, like little graphics or little videos that may just, it may just kind of get people thinking and sort of, you know, offer them a different perspective uh, that they haven't considered before. And then of course, if they want to dive deeper and really start, you know, unpacking it and getting into the nuance and talking about like, how would this apply to my specific child or to my specific students, you know, that's where, folks can connect with me and, you know, work with me in a professional capacity. And then we can really look at how do these general principles and concepts apply to your specific situation? Because um, every person and everybody and every relationship is different and unique. And so the application is always going to be, you know, something special and something that can be tailored to um, any, any, you know, sort of group or person. And I, I think, you know, any educator in the world who thinks their school is doing a good job with sex ed or relationship education should go check out your channel or check out your Instagram. I really feel like it's a good bar to, you know, for, for comparison, because I, I think for so long, so many of the elements that we've talked about really just in the last 30 minutes have not been a part of that conversation. Um, and, and I think, unfortunately, it's 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 too easy to rely on what we have been doing in schools year after year. So I, I, again, I really am so grateful that you've put those resources out there because they do so much to remind us that we, we, ha we just simply have to do better. Um, so Dr. Thornhill, I'm wondering if there have been any resources, you've mentioned some of the colleagues that you've worked with have been really influential for you. Anybody else who is listening and they're thinking, you know, I would like to be the kind of person that can, you know, not just have tough conversations, but I can really think about them as just being 
necessary and I can, you know, feel much more optimistic about having them be a part of my week to week experience. Can you point us to any resources that have helped you? Yes, I absolutely can. And just before I uh, talk about those resources, I also just want to reassure folks who may be concerned about their ability to um, have these conversations in an everyday way. And they're like, I want to get there, but I, I just, I can't, you know, I, I just don't feel like I'm there yet. That's okay. Like, it's okay to feel awkward. It's okay to feel intimidated. It's okay if it's kind of like rough and messy, especially in the beginning. Um, I will say again, I've been doing this for 15 years. And I mean, if people could hear um, some of the train wreck conversations that have happened in my house um, as recently as like last week, um, I think they would be either appalled or amused. But yeah, sometimes it, it doesn't have to be like, perfect and sitcom worthy. So that's just something I want to assure folks. Like just try, just try. And some of your conversations are going to be amazing and some of them may not be as amazing, but it's the trying that is really what's important. Um, so for resources, um, the first thing I'm going to call it again is our web series, Everybody Curious, because, um, because we have children and teens involved in the series. I think it just gives people a really good model of what, again, that the music of that conversation can sound like. Um, sort of when everyone's comfortable and you're just making space for whatever reactions come up, whatever emotions come up, whatever, you know, questions or comments come up. Um, and it's, it's, just, it's just fun and I'm really proud of it. So yeah, uh, we're at everybodycurious.com. Um, another resource I love for folks, particularly if they have teenagers, is a website called scarleteen.org. It's run by an amazing educator, Heather Corinna, and her team. Um, they have, I mean, they have everything. They have information, they have fact sheets, they have this incredible forum where um, youth submit questions and then there are answers to the questions. That's a fantastic resource. Uh, I also want to shout out a fellow sex educator, um, Melissa, who runs uh, a website and an incredible Instagram, Sex Positive Families, and there's an underscore in there somewhere, so sorry, I'm just going to pull them up on my Instagram right now so I can give people the correct address. So yes, it's Sex Positive underscore Families, uh, great, 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 great resource. Um, yeah, those are some off the top of my head. Oh, also for tweens, Corey Silverberg, who is an author and sex educator, has a great book called Sex is a Funny Word. Um, it's one of my favorite sex ed books ever. And then uh, the last resource I'm going to share is a book that I just got and finished. And uh, it's called The Self-Love Revolution. And it's written by... Virgie Tovar, who is a woman of color and a fat activist, and it's such an amazing body positive book um, for, you know, particularly for anyone who identifies as like a girl, uh, femme, anyone like that. It's awesome. Great. Thank you. Those are, we're, we're going to link to all of those in the, in the show, no, show notes. And thanks for the recommendations on those books. I'm going to check those out. And I know that people, again, in, in our in our current state might be having to make different um, 
you know, they might be having to organize differently in terms of what their professional development is going to look like for schools. And I'm wondering, do you offer online consultancy? So if there's a school, there's somebody who's listening someplace else and they're thinking, you know, this is great. I would love to bring Dr. Thornhill virtually to our staff. Is that something that you offer? Where, where can schools go to sort of learn about what you offer or what you have coming up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for folks who want to work with me directly, uh, they can go to my website, nadinethornhill.com and just fill out the contact form. And I'm, yeah, I'm always happy to consult with uh, school staff, school boards, et cetera, around curriculum development. And I have a couple of things coming up in the next uh, few weeks uh, throughout the end of summer and beginning of fall. So I'm going to actually be releasing an ebook on August 1st. It's called Let's Talk. And it's a comprehensive guide to having conversations uh, with kids and teens about various aspects of sexuality. And it includes both a lot of um, sort of general but detailed information about um, how to approach the conversations. And then it also includes over a hundred conversation prompts, which are basically just questions that you can ask um, kids and teens at different stages of development um, to sort of get a conversation rolling about various topics. Um, so that's coming out August 1st. And if folks, um, you know, I'll be talking about that on my Instagram. So if folks want to follow me on Instagram, um, and also they can sign up for the, my mailing list on my website and uh, they, uh, yeah, the announcement will be there and I will also have a discount code for email list people. And then in the fall, I'm actually gonna be offering uh, my first online course. And so it's gonna be a multi-week course where we really dive deep um, into uh, what I like to call some of the sex education speed bumps. So not only sort of how to have these conversations, but then what to do um, and how to handle sort of some of the common challenges. So for example, we've been talking a lot about consent. You know, when you teach your young kids about consent and you do this great job, you know, instilling in them that they have ownership of, of their bodies and they're the boss of their own bodies. And then they turn around and tell you, well, I don't have to take a bath because I'm the boss of my own body. And I don't have to go to school because I'm the boss of my own body and you're the person who's, you know, responsible for their care. And you're like, what do I do now? Uh, we're going to talk about what you do now. Fantastic. That, that, sounds, yeah. that sounds absolutely great. And I, I, uh, I really do, I love the Instagram live sessions. And Nadine, I'm just wondering, uh, do you have another one of those coming up where, where people, where you're taking general questions? Because I, I, again, it's sort of, it's really interesting, even if you personally don't have a question to see some of the other wonderings. Um, and I, I would love to point listeners to one of those if you have another one coming up. So uh, actually, I was just talking to a colleague of mine yesterday, and then we're going to do one. Uh, we're going to try and do one next week, and um, we're specifically going to be talking about, um, we're, we're both racialized sex educators, so we're going to be talking about sort of our experience as racialized folks in this space. Um, so that should be a really interesting conversation, and definitely if people want to pop in and they have questions, um, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions specifically around the intersection of um, anti-racism and consent education. 
So yeah, I encourage people to, to pop in and yeah, just keep an eye on my feed. Cause like I said, I'm kind of uh, spontaneous and unplanned. Like I'll be like, I want to do a live and then I'll do the live like two days later. Um, but there will definitely be more of those coming up because again, uh, pandemic life, I don't have anywhere to go or anything else to do. So yeah. Although again, those, those you know, kind of impromptu pop-up lessons are really great. Um, I'm not sure if you mentioned where people will be able to find your ebook, by the way, and I just want to make sure I include that information. So where can they go to find it when it, it comes out August 1st, you said, let's talk. Oh yeah. When it comes out August 1st, it will be on my website, uh, nadinethornhilga.com. And like I said, if folks want to go to the website now, sign up for the email list, then uh, once it is ready for release and download, I will be uh, announcing it through my email list and folks who are on the list will be getting a discount code. But I'll also be announcing it and talking about it a lot on, on my social media, particularly Instagram, because that's where I like to go to talk about everything. Also, if you go to Instagram, you can see occasional pictures of my cat. Um, I no longer share pictures of my kid because he doesn't want to be on my Instagram anymore, which is totally fair consent. Um, but you can see my fur kid who is very cute. And I think cats love having their pictures taken. So I'm sure your cat has given you uh, consent for that. Absolutely. Oh yeah. And sometimes he, he non-consensually walks into my, my photos and my, my lives and my story. So, you know, it's not a two way street with cats. No, no, no. It, it's, it's really not. But um, thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited to check out that ebook when it comes out August 1st. Thank you so much for doing the, the work that you do. I, I really feel like um, if there's one sex educator that people begin to follow to reframe how inclusive their sex ed is, I, I feel like that person is absolutely you. Oh, and, um, so much. no, like, you know, I really, I, I kind of think if schools had someone like you a few decades ago, things would look very differently today. So I, I truly think you're shaping a much, a much better future for, for kids. So thank you for the work that you do. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. If you're interested in exploring any of the resources that Dr. Nadine Thornhill shared in this episode, check out the show notes for more. 